Uh, last summer, I had the opportunity to travel to Kenya uh, to visit one of our global partners, uh, MOHI, Missions of Hope International. And there I met uh, Dick Alexander. Dick was a uh, pastor. He's retired now, works part-time for Mohi. I don't think he actually fully retired. He's multiple jobs. Great, great guy. But he was our leader uh, on that trip to Kenya. And I remember one evening after a full day of checking out churches and Mission of Hope International in the school, uh, he told us this really heart-wrenching story. Uh, he, w- he was uh, meeting with a group of international pastors all over the world, and they were talking about like how what, what the kingdom of God and what the big C church is doing like across the world, right, the globe. And it was really cool, you know, you know, different parts of the country and the world, you know, you can go see like the Holy Spirit is really alive and moving and grooving and people are getting saved. Other parts of the country, like social justice is taking place. And, and he actually, he told us, he said, I had to interrupt the pastors. And I said, I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but I've noticed that Every one of you has spoken highly about a spiritual attribute that different countries have contributed to the kingdom of God, except for America. And I'm the only uh, white guy in this circle here. I'm from America, and I want to know kind of like, what's the deal? And they all looked at him and said, um, well, um, we know when we think about America, we think about like you have a lot of resources and you have a lot of finances and you're really good at technology. And Dick just kind of looked at us and goes, like, the American church is not thought of in a spiritual context? Like, our greatest asset to the kingdom of God is our dollars? He said, if I ever needed a a punch in the gut, it was at that moment, right? Uh, this pat yesterday, my wife and I, I forget where we went, but it took us an hour to get there. And on the way back, I play this, sad- I play this sadistic game with her. It's called, uh, can we get home because we're running out of gas? And um, yeah, it's really easy to play. You just run out of gas. And I had one bar left and about like 15 miles to go before we were back on exit two here uh, in Salem. I could have, you know, I passed uh, exit one, but I was like, nah, let's just keep going, right? And uh, I finally pulled over, and we did make it to the gas station here in town in BP, which we live like 0.3 miles from BP, and we finally made it. Um, I think if you've ever been on a vacation trip and you've had those moments, there's a real temptation to see the check engine light, the gas light come on, right, and the, the tire pressure light come on and just think, like, I just need to get from point A to point B, and then everything will be fine. Uh, after week one of the series, I asked the life group leaders, I emailed them, and I said, hey, um, you guys asked a question to your groups. Of all of our values that we have as a church, we have five values. We'll throw them up on the screen. What's the value that RCC needs to grow in the most? And n- this isn't true of every group, and it's fine, but what they said was, collectively, and we have about 16 groups, about 160 people at RCC are in groups, They said the greatest value for us to grow into is dependency. Uh, It's it's dependency, this idea that who we are becoming is more important than what we're doing. And when those emails came in, I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Because uh, Dick told this story last summer that these international pastors don't think of the American church in the spiritual sense, just the dollar sense. 
And yet we struggle with dependency, the spiritual sense of trusting in and trusting on God. And I don't think that's like an RCC thing. I mean, it is, but it's also like an American, it's like an American church thing. And we somehow made the Christian journey all about head knowledge. How much do you cognitively know the word of God? But we're kind of short on, um, long on information, short on transformation. I mean, social media, done, lights out, game over, I win, right? Like, we're not short of information. We're just short on transformation. And we live our lives knowing that the check engine lights are on, but we don't practice the value of dependency. We don't practice the value of trust and vulnerability and prayer, do we? I don't. I struggle with that. Um, one of the things that we're doing to step in this idea of the journey inward, which is what I'm talking about today, it, it's, it's a really tough task because by and large, not many of you know what I mean by that, the journey inward. And so it's kind of spiritual formation. It's, it's a bit of soul care. It's a bit of pastoral care. It's a bit what happens when you're in counseling sort of a thing. It's applying ministry on broken and wounded hearts. And so I, I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate an idea that's relatively new to our church. And so what I'd like to do today is just hopefully simply, simply and beautifully uh, communicate what the journey inward actually is for us. And I don't say this every week, but because it's new, I'd really encourage you to take some notes. Uh, if anything kind of hits you, to definitely write it, to write it down. And here's the first thing I want to say. The inward journey uh, begins with desire. It really begins with a desire, right? A desire to be. And the journey inward really asks the question, what is your greatest desire? What is your deepest longing? Uh, beyond, um, and some may say this, beyond maybe superficial an answers, right? Like, maybe I get married someday. And, and those aren't superficial. Those are, I mean, if that's a desire of yours, and that's great, that's beautiful. But, but at the core of who you are, what is your greatest desire? What is your deepest longing? That you would be able to communicate that in the context of maybe a life group or a Christian brother or sister. And no matter how weird or out, of, out there it is, you would be able to, to vocalize that. Here's the problem, friends, with the American church uh, and the journey inward, is that much of our lives are like this mason jar, right? Like the structure looks good. We put on, you know, you guys look beautiful, right? You, you look good. Your hair, your hair did. You look great. Your hair's up, most of you. Um, probably you all took a shower. So on the outside, everything looks good, right? And for most of, some of us that have been coming to RCC long enough, like we know enough Bible to kind of get us through a conversation. But <clears throat> the reality is, to steal an illustration from Ruth Haley Barton, uh, our lives are like jars of river water, uh, completely shaken up. You see what I did there? Everything was settled before I shook it, right? But now that I shook it, the, the, the casing is still objectively, it has the same form, right? I shook it, I still have the same form, but you don't really know what's going on in here. That's what's going on in here. It's this unsettledness that's in my spirit. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm not saying like a cute illustration to look smart. I, I have a hard time walking at the pace of the Spirit. Uh, I have a great, easy time running at the pace of my own ambition. And I bet you do too. <laughs> and so when we talk about the journey inward and we say, let's strip all of the nonsense away. And what does it look like to communicate your deepest longing, your deepest desire to Jesus? We kind of go, oh, I, don't, I don't have a framework for that. I know. Neither did I until literally I'm 37. Four years ago, I didn't have a framework for it. And so this is why I'm excited to begin to talk about with our church at RCC what the journey inward actually looks like. Now, what it looks like for this year, one of, one of the things that we do is Brian, our worship pastor, and his team offer Abide Worship Nights about once a quarter. We have one coming up in a few weeks to help us get ready for Easter. Uh, but also, secondarily, we are flying a group of our staff and volunteers out to Chicago where Ruth Haley Barton offers this sort of this retreat of how to take the journey inward back to your church. So it's not something the pastor says once a year and says, okay, everyone needs to go home and rest. But it, it's, it's living, it's reordering our lives where we're practicing the journey inward. We, we, we get a sense that the journey inward begins with desire. We all want to be with God, I would imagine, to some, to some length. I mean, who wouldn't with the way the Bible portrays God? Uh, well, that's an assumption. I, I would want to be uh, with how the Bible portrays God. But yet we ignore the check engine lights, don't we? Uh, scripture actually calls us out on it. In Proverbs 14, 12, the writer says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Right? Th there's a way that appears to be right. Like, I'm, I'm about to say, like, multiple things that could be sermon series. There's a way that appears to be right to us about how to deal with finances. Visa card, MasterCard, Sally Mae keeps calling me. Th there's a way that appears to be right to do relationships, Right? Hit it and quit it, one night stands, um, moving in to make sure it's okay, test drive the car before you buy it. Th there's a way that appears to make sense to us as humans, and so we do it. Not necessarily because like, we want to be sinful or wicked or whatever, but it just appears to be right. And what scripture actually says is, if we keep going down that path, we're going to self-destruct. There's a real reality, friends, that in the American church, um, there's a lot of people that know the word of God, yet live tired, hurried, busied, and unsettled lives. Now, are they going to die and go to heaven? Sure. Yeah. Jesus died for them <laughs> and for you. But the bummer is they're going to really miss out on that full life that Jesus keeps talking about, that eternal life. This idea that Jesus really wants to walk with us. Uh, so much so that in Hosea 4.6, God is using Hosea's pen to say these words, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Like head knowledge? No, no, no. No, no. They're, they're destroyed from the ability to do life. It's the difference between do you know your spouse versus do you know about your spouse, right? Do you know how to get them to smile? What do they cry about? What are their hopes and fears and dreams? And when we're not taking the inward journey, 
Scripture says it seems right. There are a lot of things that seem right and harmless at first, and maybe even the course of a lifetime. And people go, well, I, I don't need Jesus. I don't need church. They just, like, well, but what should make us weep is they don't know about the passive wrath of God. Right? Like, just because your life isn't, you, you know what I'm saying? And so because we live our lives without checking the, or ignoring the check engine light, the gas light, the tire pressure light, and we just keep going, eventually we just kind of live like this. Tired, hurried, busied, and unsettled lives, right? And I get it, like we're going at the pace of our own ambition. I'm guilty of this. And to be quite honest and frank with you guys, it's just not enough for me to, you know, <coughs> pull out my phone while I'm, you know, watching Netflix and my wife is sitting over here and reading like a verse for 3.5 seconds. Because the reason why is my spirit is not ready to receive what I'm reading. You, just, you understand what I'm saying? It's easy in the church to be like, you should believe or you're going to hell. Okay, I believe a lot of Jesus' teachings I just don't know that I'm quiet enough to know how to receive them, right? There's a difference. There's a difference between when you go to your favorite restaurant and you know the chef is going to bring you a killer meal. You know that it's coming, but until that hits your lips and your palate, you've not yet received it. And so the scriptures talk to us about there's a way that seems, like the, there's a way in which we do life that seems okay, that seems normal, where we can have a piece of Jesus, but also like not look weird in front of our friends and coworkers. But the scriptures continually say that it leads to death, or like, like we literally die, maybe, but it's just talking about a life that has little to no productivity, that not much will happen past this life. And so what I'd like to do this morning with my time that I have left is to take you to a text, because when you have coffee with people, like you do, and you're like, yeah, my pastor talked about the journey inward, they're going to like, what, what kind of cult are you a part of? You're going to need a text, right? You're going to need language to walk them through this. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10, or you can use your Bible app. It'll be on the screen as well. And we're going to look at a conversation, interaction that Jesus has with a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. In verse 46, the text says, they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus and others, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. That's a very, the NIV is kind of really nice. They said something more violent. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The inward journey begins with a desire, right? It begins with a desire, but not just a desire or any desire. It, begin, it begins with a desire to rest our soul in the presence of Jesus. That, that was this man's greatest longing and his desire. It wasn't to be right. It wasn't to be wrong. It wasn't to be moral or good or perfect. It was to be in the presence of Jesus. I don't know about you, um, but sometimes I get this vibe from the American church that um, the, the, the Christian experience 
is all cognitive, right? So when you talk to someone, like, how, like if you ask somebody, like, what does a mature Christian look like? They usually say things like they know the Word of God, like cognitively, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. As long as knowing the Word of God means you're getting to know the Word of Life. The Bible is about Jesus. It's not a morality book where you try to memorize things and be good and not, you know, end up in jail for doing something to somebody. The Bible is to point you to, to, to Jesus. We have a hard time, I think, in the American church not expressing what we know about Scripture, but what we're feeling about it. We have a hard time um, being okay with communicating our emotions. I'll prove it to you. The blind man yelled out for Jesus, and who said, be quiet? Probably a little harsher, like, shut up. The disciples yeah, the disciples kind of have sort of this like uh, ego trip sometimes. They're like G- the Lord's bouncers, right? They're, they're like walking around. G- you see this on TikTok all the time. Uh, you, they're walking around celebrities and you're like, you can't, you can't take it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey man, we're leaving. You missed your shot. And I think sometimes in the church, folks really want to communicate what they're feeling. They want to communicate their deepest longing and desire but then you've got a group of Christians like these disciples, <laughs> right, that get to walk with God. Hello, basic 101, like let people come to Jesus if they want to. And they say, hey, we're leaving, man. Like, you missed it. Go home and, or go back to your corner and continue to beg. But the Bible really invites us to communicate our desires. Uh, if you read the book of Psalms, like, I don't know how you get past that and go, yeah, Christianity is not an emotional experience. It is. Like in Psalm 19, the writer says, I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. Psalm 120, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he saves me. I call on the Lord in the midst of my mental health issues, my anxiety, my depression, my fear, right? Like, (laughs) <laughs> when he says distress, he's just not talking about like, oh, I'm having a bad day because I, you know, they ran out of something that I wanted at lunch. No, this is a writer talking about his mental health. In my anguish and in my angst, from the depths of the worst day of my life, I am emotively communicating to my God. Would you please come and rescue me? Would you please come and save me? And in Psalm uh, 130, the writer says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, from my bowels, in my bones. Right? You ever had that experience where you get a phone call or uh, it's 2020, a text message, Facebook message, right? That just drops you to your knees. Loved one, friend, car accident cancer diagnosis, and you're sort of like physically rocking back and forth in, on your bed or in your couch or on a chair, and just in full body angst, you scream out to your God. Over the last um, like 15 years I've been in ministry, both students and adults have done this. They'll have an emotional breakdown, uh, and they'll start rocking back and forth, and then they'll 
um, explain to me, well, not explain, but they'll wonder how their life got to this point. And then they begin, like a good Christian, right, quoting scripture. God is this, God is that, he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, but I feel abandoned right now. And I, I, I know the Bible, yet why is this happening to me? And I just gently, hopefully, <laughs> I just gently say, um, you know that your head wants a relationship with God, but do you know that your body wants a relationship with God? The fact that you are feeling all of this anxiety and fear and depression and you're rocking back and forth and you are physically having an emotional breakdown, that is your body praying to God. <laughs> I, 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 I physiologically need to be at rest. But in the American church, we've made Christianity to be a brain thing. And we don't know what to do about the heart thing. And so we just kind of move past. Or we say, like, we'll pray for each other, right? I've done that. <laughs> I'm guilty of it. There's this real sense that, uh, according to the writers of the Bible, part of the journey inward is being able to communicate our deepest desire and our greatest longing in the presence of Jesus. And notice what the blind man uh, said. When he heard it was Jesus and Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, probably some of the disciples, other people that were, honestly, selfish. you know, like you ever seen like a famous person, you want to get a selfie with them? That's probably what was going on. Like, hey, be quiet. I'm next in line. They rebuked him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So this is what the blind man did. So get, get ready. Uh, nudge your neighbor if they're asleep. Hey, Jesus! I heard that you're a good rabbi. You have friends that stop there with Jesus? He's a good teacher, like Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith. God bless that guy, right? He doesn't stop there. Hey, Jesus, I heard you're a good rabbi, son of David. Jesus, you're, I know that you're a rabbi. That's a title he didn't like, say that he was, but he never rejected it. Um, and then the blind man says, you're the son of, so you're not only a rabbi, but you're a king. But did he stop there? No, because I've never seen a savior on Capitol Hill. Jesus, I know that you're a good rabbi and you're a king. Have mercy on me. Jesus, I know that you're a rabbi. I know that you're a king. You're the king of the Jews. I believe that but I'm going to take a step further and ask you, can you please have mercy on me? Well, who gives mercy in the scriptures? God does. God does. And this blind man knew more about Jesus and was comfortable with Jesus than his own disciples. And his disciples look at him and just say, hey, be quiet. Be quiet. Right? But Bartimaeus didn't say, hey, Jesus, you're a nice, good, moral, religious teacher, the first among equals. Nope. He said, Jesus, you're God. I think you're God. <laughs> I've tried everything else. Would you please have mercy on me? Notice what happens in the text. The inward journey uh, begins with a desire, 
Secondly, to be in Jesus' presence. Here's the third point. Because we know that we're allowed to communicate what we need. Do you know that? Do you know that about Jesus? Do you? You're allowed to communicate what you need, your deepest desire, the, the most felt need that you have. Even if it's from, like, abuse from when you grew up. Just to be loved. Whatever that is. My desire is different than yours, and vice versa. Notice what Jesus did with this man. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So, that, so they called the blind man, cheer up. Like, it's not very sensitive. Right? Can you imagine, like, Peter telling this guy to be quiet, and then Jesus goes, hey, Peter, why don't you go get him? <laughs> oh, such a great youth pastor. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. One of the reasons why, guys, that we don't take the journey inward is because of this blind man's response. Right? Jesus, you're a rabbi, you're a king, and you're a God. And Jesus goes, hey, man, come here. You know something that these other guys don't know. <clears throat> and the text says he threw off his cloak. What does Mark want us to know here? This man ran to Jesus naked. Okay, you don't want to go there? Fine. Depending on what commentators you read, because I know you read commentaries, at best he just had underwear on. You don't run in the first century. The prodigal son, the father ran. You don't run. It's undignified to run. When you're important and you're the CEO or the VP of your company, people come to you. You don't, you don't chase people down. That's ridiculous. But this man ran to Jesus. Why do you care? Here's why. The inward journey is a very undignified process. Because it requires a lot of vulnerability. And just a willingness to come and to be in Jesus' presence. And to trust that while we go in his presence, we don't have an agenda. We're not really sure how this is going to turn out but we probably don't have a shot of settling our spirits if we're not practicing being in his presence where our deepest desire meets the loving God, the living God. What is your deepest desire and your greatest longing? And do you know, not cognitively, but like in a marriage, do you know that you can communicate that in the presence of Jesus? What I'd like to do uh, to close out our sermon is to invite you to, uh, I want to pray a prayer over you. It's a prayer of uh, spiritual direction, the inward journey, and soul care. And what I'd like for you to do is to put down anything that you have in your hands and just get settled in your chair. And before we do the prayer, I want to read to you Psalm 4610. The writer says, Be still and know that I am God. Uh, that is a direct assault on the American culture uh, because in Hebrew, be still and know that I am God is a declaration to, literally in Hebrew, let go of your grip. 
We don't like to do that as Americans, especially with our time and our calendar. And often, Jewish rabbis would pray like this. They wouldn't have their head down, their eyes closed, and, you know, kind of what we do in our church, American church. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But often, rabbis would pray to God like this. And so here's what I invite you to do. Get comfortable in your chair. And as a posture of humility, you don't have to do this. It's an invitation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, but leave your palms facing up. Sort of a a sense of... um, a willingness, maybe, to be in Jesus' presence. If you don't do it, it doesn't mean you're not willing. Like, I'm not, you know, I know people are going to look around. That's not what I mean. But it's a a simple idea of just to come in the presence of Jesus with no agenda. And so let me pray this prayer over you, and then we'll continue in worship. And I want to invite you to engage in this prayer. Almost as if all of the first-person pronouns you're about to hear It's as if you are having that conversation with Jesus yourself. So let's pray. Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, and arrangements to make. Meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, and I forget. I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly, I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me. Please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Eternal one, there is something I wanted to tell you. But my mind races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and with leaky plumbing, and leaky relationships that I keep trying to plug up and my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt, with things I covet, and I forget what it is I wanted to say to you and how to say it honestly or how to do much of anything. Oh God, don't forget me, please. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Almighty one, there is something I wanted to ask you, but I stumble I stumble along the edge of a nameless rage, haunted by a hundred floating fears, fears of war, losing my job, failing, getting sick and old, having loved ones die, of dying. And I forget what is the real question I wanted to ask. I forget to listen because you seem unreal and far away and I forget what it is I have forgotten. Oh God, don't give up on me. Don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what it is I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask you in my blundering way is, 
don't give up on me. Don't become too sad about me. But laugh with me. Try again with me. And I will with you too. Oh, Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you. Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is, forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask is for peace enough to want and to work for more, for joy enough to share, and for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here, now, there, then, always. Amen.